0: And remember, Martin Luther was a monk, and he wanted to reform the Catholic Church so that they were no longer doing things like this. And so rather than coming up with tradition or something that men say, he came up with this first of the sola. So there's five of them. The first one is sola scriptura, that God's word alone, right? Sola meaning alone, God's word alone. And we often quote 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures given by the inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work, lacking in nothing, thoroughly equipped for all God wants you to do. The authority in our lives is scripture. It doesn't mean that God can't speak to you, as some have kind of come around to saying, that sola scriptura means that God never speaks to you outside of scripture. Doesn't mean God can't touch your heart or speak to you, but it means the authority is the word of God. And if you think God tells you something, or if someone gives you a tradition, or somebody has authority, tells you something different than the scriptures, the scriptures are what we stand on. The second sola was sola fide, which is faith alone. The Bible says in Ephesians two, eight and nine, we are saved by grace through faith. And and that's it. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. You can't work for your salvation. That's why people that wanna add things on to salvation, whether it's baptism or going to church on Sunday or speaking in tongues or any kind of works, any kind of sacraments that you have to do in order to be saved is adding to it. And you are then taking part in salvation. Now, receiving salvation is not a work. So when I receive the gift of salvation and I say, Lord, come into my life, I'm not doing anything for my salvation. The salvation has already been accomplished. All I'm doing it is receiving it. I like to use the analogy of a child on Christmas morning receiving the gift. And the parent says, well, you earned part of that gift because you received it. It makes no sense. Grace, uh, salvation is a free gift from God, and we receive it. And if you don't receive it, then you don't have it. But you have, so you have to receive it. But it is through faith alone. God has chosen us by faith. This is Romans 9. And Romans 9 says, God has chosen some for, for everlasting life and some for everlasting destruction. Some has caused some for vessels of righteousness and some for uh, vessels of dishonor. Those that are dishonor are those who won't believe, who don't receive it by faith. God has chosen by his sovereignty to give salvation to those who believe by faith. And so it's by faith and faith alone and not of any works. And so we reject the idea that you can be saved by any kind of works. The next one is sola gratia. And sola gratia is uh, grace alone. So again, Ephesians 28 9, we are saved by the grace of God through faith. It's undeserved favor that has saved us. It's, it's not of a work, but it really is by God's complete and total grace that we are saved. There was nothing in us that merited salvation. God didn't look at me and go, whoa, that Robert Furl, he's got some good things going for him. I need to save him. It was God's grace alone. This is because there were people that were teaching that there were certain things that you had within you that God chose you, but it's not. It's by grace and grace alone. The fourth is solo Christos, which is Christ alone. This emphasizes the ex- that, that Jesus is exclusive. It's all about him. It's Jesus that has the preeminence. It's Jesus that is superior to everything. And it is Christ alone that we serve we as as Christians don't mix in anything else, but it is Jesus alone. And finally, there is sola Deo Gloria, and that is to God's glory alone. The Bible says do everything that you do for the glory of God. The Bible says don't do anything out of selfish ambition and put other people's interest above your own interest so that the, the motive for everything that I do, if it's a pure godly motive, is going to be for the glory of God that God would be exalted, that God would be lifted up, that he would be the one who was glorified. So that's the five solas came out of the Reformation. Uh, I think the the entire church has, has embraced this. Um, the entire genuine church, I would say, has embraced this of wanting to serve God and God alone, not falling back on tradition, not falling back on sacraments, not falling back on someone having the power to speak for God, like a prophet or an apostle or a pope. Um, But these five things, Sola Scriptura, Sola uh, Fide, uh, the the Bible alone, faith alone, uh, Christ alone, grace alone, and the glory of God alone. All right, so appreciate you guys. Uh, Good to see you here as you are uh, logging on and uh, as you have logged on. Well, that's not working. I love days that there's just technical difficulties. They're my favorite. All right. So again, good to see you guys. Good to have you here. If you're joining us for the very first time, good to have you here. Uh, We you can ask your question by writing the word question in front of your question and then reread it a couple of times. Make sure that it makes sense and then go ahead and submit your question. Um, once again, it looks like, well, yeah, there's a Facebook. Uh, Carl, good to see you. Joining us on Facebook. I'm having a little bit of struggles, uh, difficulties with, um, with Facebook. Uh, so it looks like almost everybody's from uh, YouTube now, all right? So uh, we'll get this thing figured out eventually. Um, <clears throat> yeah, fact check these hands. We would love to pray for your mom. So fact check these hands says, um, can I... Uh, can I please ask for a prayer for my mom who had to go to the hospital on Thanksgiving? They finally transferred her to a bigger hospital today to have surgery, not sure when it will be. All right, thanks, uh, fact check these hands. Lord, may you bless, fact check these hands, mom. Uh, what, may you touch her, heal her, whatever is wrong with her. Lord, give the doctors wisdom. Uh, let there be something supernatural. Let the doctors stand back and go, wow, I can't believe what's happening. And we ask you this in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so thank you very much. Um, yes, now uh, Kimber- uh, Kimberly asked, number one is scripture alone, number two is faith alone. If you're taking them down, Kimberly, I'll give them to you again. Number three is grace alone, which is sola gratia. Number four is sola Christos, Christ alone. And number five is sola de gloria, uh, to, to the glory of God alone. All right. So that's how it would be said to the glory of God alone. All right. So uh, we have a question here from Susan. Susan, good to have you here. Susan says, uh, Jeff thought he was saved. Life got hard. He denounced each member of the Trinity by name out loud and walked away. Life got worse. Can he come back? What can he do? Um, All right. So thanks, Susan, for your question. I would like to know a little bit more information about jeff but let's just take what we've got here he denounced each member of the trinity by name so that's pretty serious right he is upset life is not going the way he wants his expectations have not been met and uh so he's upset and he walks away because life has gotten tough first of all i would say for jeff is that we are jesus said pick up your cross and follow me, which means that we're going to take something we don't want to have happen, something that we don't want to carry, and we're going to follow him. This idea of Jesus as a self-help Jesus that is taught by not only the faith movement, the prosperity movement teaches a self-help Jesus, but really you can find it in pulpits all across America. You need help you need to you feel better jesus can come along he can make your life better so receive him into your life that's not the reason we follow him yes we want our sins forgiven yes we want to we want god to renew our inner man day by day and yes god is going to make things better in the long run because we're going to be in heaven but we we live for him and we die for him we make sacrifices for him it's it's like someone joining the army the Marines, and they're, they're like, it's going to be so good to be a Marine. I'm going to get a paycheck every week and I'm going to I, I, I'm i going to uh, be have all, all all my needs taken care of. And um, this is going to be so good to be a Marine. And then they get into boot camp and then they get sent to war. And now they're upset because This isn't why I joined the Marines. I joined the Marines so that I could be taken care of, so that I could get a paycheck, so I could have all my needs met. And now I'm over here in the middle of the war. Well, your expectations were way off. That's exactly what happens to Christians. They aren't following him for the right reasons to start with. They think that they're following him so that their lives can be better. And it's not a sacrifice. The Bible says in Romans 12, one and two, Uh, that we are to give our lives as a living sacrifice to Him, that we can prove what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God for our lives. That is, that I have sacrificed for Him. And that means that if my life takes a turn that I don't want it to take, and I go down a road that I don't want to go down, that I trust in God, that I say, Lord, I trust you, and I will do these things that you've called me to do, living for you, and so that's the first problem that I see with Jeff. Jeff, did he really surrender to Jesus as his, as his Lord? So he denounces the Trinity um, one name at a time, which is very dramatic to do, and he walked away. Life got worse. Can he come back? Uh, by what I know from your question, Susan, yeah, sure. <clears throat> People walk away from God, denouncing the Trinity to Trinity, all of them one at a time, denouncing God, denouncing Christianity. Peter denied Jesus three times and Peter came back. I um, I walked away when I was 18. The pastor of the church I was attending had an affair with the secretary and a friend of mine who had been a mentor to me. When I called him to talk to him about that, I found out he was having an affair. And I said, if this is what Christianity is about, I don't want anything to do with it. Now that sounds almost noble for me that when I saw this horrible thing happening in the pulpit and a a mentor of mine that I said, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. But the truth is, is there was something in me, an 18 year old Robert Furrow that wanted the things of the world. And if things were right in my life and I had a right relationship with God, I wouldn't have walked away from him. And I did. I walked completely away from him. Not not only not going to church, but saying, I am no longer a Christian, and living my life as if I was not a Christian. Now, the beautiful thing here is, because I had made a genuine commitment to Christ, He came after me. I mean, He came out, I mean, the story of how He came and got me, when I, um, my father had died when I was younger, when I was uh, 14 years old, and we had gotten some money, and when I turned 18, I got some money. And so I had, a 68 a, a Camaro. Uh, and I had a Jeep, a 77 Jeep. I had a motorcycle. And um, for a for an 18-year-old kid, I had an awful lot. And I felt like I had to have a girlfriend in order to, I don't know, to be fulfilled or satisfied. Um, something was really wrong if I didn't have a girlfriend. And so God, one by one, took those things away from me. My motorcycle was stolen. I went up with my helmet on, my gloves on, walked outside and walked in a circle where the bike had been. It was stolen. Never got it back. The Jeep got, we, we took it down to um, Elephant Butte Lake, ran into, was was going for a wheeling with it, ran into a, um, a barbed wire fence and the car caught on fire and burned down. The burnt, you know, burnt up. And we're standing on the beach watching as the Jeep just burns up. And then I find out that I didn't have insurance on it. And I didn't have payments on it. I started to make the payments on it. So somehow the insurance had, had not been maybe I didn't pay it. Who knows? Um, and uh, then, you know, some some things happened um with the Camaro, and um I ended up having all of them, all of them taken from me. And then the girlfriend broke up with me. And she didn't want me, she broke up with me at her house, so she didn't want me there anymore. So she said, just take my car, I'll get it from you later. And so I I had lost my driver's license even during that time. I got so many tickets in my 68 Camaro that I lost my driver's license. So I'm driving home. I don't have a driver's license. I don't have a girlfriend. I, I, I can't. I do still have the Camaro, but I can't drive it. And and I turn on the radio and there's a song on by Chuck Girard, uh and the lead singer of Love Song called Little Pilgrim. It says, and and I thought while I was driving home, I'm going to listen to the Christian station, K-Love or k Um, And um, I turned it over to 88.3 and this is in Albuquerque. And as I'm driving home, this song comes on. Little pilgrim walking down the road of life. Can you see that there are many others who are just like you? So you take a little turn to the left to see what that road has to offer you, but you've got to make it back to the main road anyhow, and you've got all that lost time to make up for. And I listened to it and I said, that's me. I've taken a turn to the left. And, and the very last line of the song says that, and it's a sad thing, well, the one, it says a sad thing to realize you're all alone. And then at the very end of the song, it says, it's a glad thing when you realize you're not alone anymore. I went home, I crawled in bed and I still remember looking up at the, the trailer. My mom, I lived with my mom in a trailer. I remember looking up at the top of the trailer with those little buttons that were in it and saying to God, okay, no longer what I want, but whatever you want. And it took a little while, but God brought me back it wasn't like God let it happen right away. It wasn't until a couple of weeks later, when I was in a, a little strange charismatic church, that God said, it's time for you to come home. I was seeking him. But he said, it's time for you to come home. And I ugly cried in that little church. This was a charismatic church. Uh, there are all kinds of things going on. One of them was me ugly crying as I came back to Christ. And so if I can do it at that point, Jeff can do it here. Now, does Jeff want to do it? That's the question. All he's got to do is come back. Like the prodigal son that realized, my father feeds his servants better than this. I'll go home and be a servant to my dad. But his dad saw him, ran to him, and it's been pointed out, the only time that God runs in scripture, you ever see him running in scripture, is when he's running to a prodigal, embraces him, puts a robe on his back and a ring on his finger, and says, "Kill the fatted calf for my son, who was dead, is now alive." And so God wants those who are away from Him to return to Him, and He can come back. The question is, will He do it? He's got. He's got to respond. God's drawing Him. He's got to respond, but this time know that the commitment to follow Christ is the commitment to say, "I'll, I'll die for you, I'll die for you, I'll live for you." I'm no longer living my life for me. Paul said in Galatians, "I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me." When God p- called Paul, He said to Paul, "I have many things for you to suffer." That's how He called him. I'm, I'm I want you to follow me. You have many things for you to suffer. So, so the Christian life is, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. They're going to hate you because they hate me. So, we get these wrong expectations, and then we think, if this happens to me, then I can't follow a God like that. I'm not going to follow God that would let these things happen to me, and that's a bad thing to do. All right? Susan, you can ask a follow-up if you have that. All right? So, uh, we have a follow-up from uh, Jari. Jari, good to see you. Jari says, follow-up. Will the mark of the beast have some fake healing power of the wound of the head and he is healed? <clears throat> the, uh, the stinging locusts don't kill and the rocks fall on us. Can they have false protection? Um, all right, so let's come back. So let's uh, first of all talk about the um, the Antichrist. Yeah, the false witness is able to do lying signs and wonders. And when people see the miraculous, then they're going to believe, and they're going to commit themselves more and more to the Antichrist. The locusts that come up out of the pit and attack, uh, and and people want to die, but they can't. So I don't know exactly what that means. A lot of people have speculated on what it means. I'm not quite sure, but um, it's interesting that there is a wasp, a tarantula wasp, (laughs) that stings the tarantula and then the tarantula follows him home, the the wasp home. And the tarantula lays eggs in, the wasp lays eggs in the tarantula and becomes food for the baby wasps. Why would the tarantula follow the wasp home? He got stung by him and there's something that makes him follow him home. So who knows exactly what it means when it says they sting people and they can't die. Maybe it means that they don't have the will to do it. Maybe somehow that changes. Somehow the will of the tarantula changes when the tarantula wop stings them. There's so many analogies that we could use from that particular insect. And it blows me away. It blows me away that 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 happens, and I've actually seen one. There's one outside of my house, a tarantula that had been stung by a tarantula wasp that was up, up by the house, and I learned a little bit more about it, which is absolutely amazing. So maybe it's not like you get stung by it and then you jump off a building and you splatter on the ground, but you're still alive, you know, or you get hit by a train and you're still alive, you know, even though you're all marked up and you're walking down the street looking like some kind of zombie. I don't think that's it. Maybe maybe it is something the sting, this wasp, you know, scorpions. Maybe it's something like what happens to this um, to this tarantula. Once the tarantula gets stung, somehow somehow there's some substance or something that hijacks the will of the tarantula, which is, as I said, man, so full of all kinds of analogies that we could talk about the things from the Bible. All right. So um, thanks, Jari, for your question. We are in the Book of Revelation. We're uh, covering chapter four, or at least a portion of chapter four this week. And we're diving in deep, too. We're not doing a a cursory flyover of the Book of Revelation. We're diving in and talking about everything that we can dive in and talk about. So I'd love to have you join us on Wednesday nights. Uh, You can, of course, follow up and watch them anytime that you want to on uh, YouTube. You can also uh, down, uh, subscribe to truth quest podcast, and you're going to get all of our teachings in revelation and listen to them whenever you want to. So, uh, Matt Grossman, good to see you. Matt has a question. Have you heard about the red heifers that arrived in Israel last month? Do you think it relates to the reconstruction of the temple? Um, Numbers 19. Yeah. And, uh, Ezekiel 38, 39 revelation, Talks about the rebuilding of the temple as well. So, um, yeah, I have, I'm gonna get this. What did I do here? Uh, all right, so let me just... Um, all right, so um, Matt, yeah, I have heard of these red heifers that arrived in Israel a few days ago. They're one in one year, one month, they're around that age. They need to be almost three years old, a little over two years old, somewhere around there two and a half let's just say in order to be used for um for uh cleansing processes and it can't have any black hairs or white hairs right it has to be perfect in that sense and so a priest has to see it approve it and then they can build it uh now are there priests do we have priests levite priests who can You know who can do the priestly duties that need to be done uh and this is a this is a question uh we we know that that paul was of the tribe of benjamin we know that most jews are from the tribe of judah today we know that there are levites around because levites were in every group and so there were levites that were in jerusalem taking care of the temple when they were taken into captivity into babylon and returned to israel to take care of the temple they had priests who were there we know that Jesus had the lineage of the king in him, so they had lost a lot under the the Greeks and the Romans. And we don't know if, and there were high priests during the days of Jesus, and then they were dispersed in 70 AD. So is there still a way to know this lineage? And I haven't found any good answers to that, by the way. Um, but I do think it has to do with the reconstruction of the temple. And I think that when it comes, to, it just looks like more and more pieces are falling together. Now, how could the temple be rebuilt if the Dome of the Rock is there? There is an interesting passage that says that there's a wall that's built to divide the profane from the holy, talking about the rebuilding of the temple. And if you go and you look at the East Gate and you go directly to with the West, then right behind the East Gate is the Dome of the Rock. Excuse me, right behind the East Gate is the Dome of the Spirits. The Dome of the Rock is to the left of it, and there is bedrock there. And we, do, you can't, they, they can't do any excavation on the Temple Mount. They have found the corners of the platform that Herod the Great had made. He said, yeah, yeah, that Herod the Great had made when he rebuilt the temple during right before the time of Jesus, or around the time of Jesus' birth, when he started to rebuild the temple. But we don't know where the foundation for Solomon's temple is. If we could excavate there, we could find it. So will there be some kind of a deal, peace with the Palestinians for half of the temple mount? And maybe they excavate and find that that bedrock under the dome of the rock, which I always like to stop when, when we're there, taking people to Israel and point out that bedrock that's under the dome of the spirit. There's bedrock under the dome of the rock as well, but there, under the dome of the spirit, there's bedrock there. And Could this be they they find that's where the temple is and could the temple be built there uh, without destroying the Dome of the Rock? I'm not saying that there couldn't be something that would happen that would destroy the Dome of the Rock. Jews are again for the first time in 2000 years going up on the Temple Mount and praying and holding services. And Israel hasn't letting this happen forever and it's happening now. So these are all pieces that seem to be falling in place for the return of Christ. And um, I say we're living in the last day, <clears throat> days, but occupy until he comes, right? We're living our lives. And if Jesus doesn't come back for 200 years, we're fine because we're trusting in him. And if he comes back today, we're ready for him. All right, so thank you, Matt, for that question. Uh, it's great, a lot of really interesting stuff going on right now. Uh, so fact check these hands has a question. Uh, fact check Sand says, can you elaborate on first Timothy four, three? I know why meat is banned climate nonsense, but why forbid marriage? Do you see this happening before or after the rapture? All right, let's just take some time to look this up. So this is a section of scripture where it's talking about, uh, really what people are like in the last days, right? Um, let me just, let me pull this up on for you, see if it's working. There you go. All right. So it's talking about the way people are in the last days. It says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. I think we're seeing that today. I think it's fulfilled in the progressive church. And I think it's fulfilled in other arms of the church that are listening to doctrines of demons, rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created. Uh, So let me just talk about this forbidding to marry here for a moment, because I think that's kind of the heart of your your question here, all right? Um, So in early Christianity, there was this thought that all sex was bad. And so there was this teaching that got traction that to abstain, that that was holy to abstain. And it's one of the reasons that Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, don't withhold yourself from one another for your body is not your own, but hers and her body is yours. And if you're gonna abstain, then abstain for a while for the purpose of prayer, but then come back together again and he talks about you know yeah yeah he just talks about the um the concept of sex being a good thing that's not a bad thing god created it but there were people who were teaching that and so when i read that that's what i think of okay so satan was probably not going to come up with new things and you can imagine how this hurt christianity false false teachings always do you can imagine how it hurt christianity in the early days some, a woman who becomes a Christian who's married to a Roman. And all of a sudden she says to him, well, I can't have sex with you anymore. It's sinful. It's bad. And now they want to get rid of Christianity all the worse. And we know that it's spread to a a lot of different communities. uh, This, these false teachings, especially about, um, about forbidding or or sex within marriage. And so uh, Paul talked about, having the gift of singleness and how that's good, but also said, if you can't handle it, then go ahead and marry. And so some people could take that and twist it, that it's better to be single than to be married so they would forbid marriage. Um, And then it goes on. Let's go go ahead and finish looking at this. Uh, It goes on to say then, um, yeah, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be, and we could talk about, Kosher diets, we could talk about, like you said, uh, cattle, you know, methane going up in the air, ruining our climate, you could talk about that. I think there's some other stuff. Um, uh, but God created to be received with thanksgiving, but those who believe and know the truth, by those who uh, by those who believe and know the truth, for every creature is good um, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer, okay? So that that's what I that's what I think for these for these last days. Maybe we haven't seen all of these teachings come up yet. Fact check these hands. Uh, perhaps we're, you could see some of it in certain places, and it's going to become something that is dominant as time moves on. And um, certainly it's, it's, it's the latter times, right? So it says in the text that it's the latter times. All right. So uh, hopefully that's helpful. And um, if, uh, if you have follow-up, let me know. So we have a follow-up from Jari. Jari, this better be a follow-up, not a new question. Follow-up, what happens to our clothes if not a trace of us is left behind, as you said, Wednesday? Will they be uh, disregarded for new garments or transformed into new garments? So Jari's talking about, on Wednesday night, we were talking about where the rapture of the church is in the book of Revelation. And I talked about how it's part of a a larger, something larger called the resurrection. And that when people tell me, I don't believe in the rapture, it drives me crazy because you're telling me at that point, you don't understand what the Bible says about the rapture because the rapture is part of the resurrection. Think about how many people are in Christ that he's gonna resurrect and the word Christ is Messiah what is the, is the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Messiah. Think about how many people are going to be resurrected. And then what are you gonna do with those who are alive and remain? And if you are post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib, all millennial, post-millennial, um, the only one that doesn't fit this is preterist because they believe the resurrection has already happened. Full preterist. And how you can even be a full preterist, I don't understand. Just for that fact alone, that you believe that during the destruction of Jerusalem that Jesus actually came back then, that or, or Jesus came back then. I think they don't believe in a resurrection is what I think it is, which is a denial of what the Bible says clearly and a denial of what, um, uh, a, and a denial of the creeds that would say we believe in a bodily resurrection, which the church put together to be able to fight off false doctrines that were out there. So I said, in my opinion, Remember, chaos is gonna break out. So there's gonna be this resurrection and and whatever you do, whatever you, when there's a resurrection, what do you do with people who are alive in Christ? They are caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. They are ch- changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye. First Corinthians chapter 15 and first Thessalonians chapter four. So w- that's what happens. So when someone says, I don't believe in the rapture, um, first of all, are you a Jehovah Witness? Because they don't believe in the rapture. And secondly, you've got to have a better understanding of what it is and what you're going to do with these resurrection passages, like 1 Corinthians 15 and, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So then I said, this is my opinion. I don't think we're going to leave our clothes behind. I think chaos is breaking out in the world. Things start to happen. War breaks out. The Antichrist comes on the scene. People disappear. And I think that we are going to be just taken to be with him. Now, as far as what I think is going to happen to our clothes, Jari, I never thought about it. I never thought, I wonder if I'm gonna have to wear them for the rest of eternity. I wonder if they're gonna wear out. Will they get threadbare, you know? I I don't know. Um, I think probably we'll have different clothes. I think in our resurrected body, we'll have clothes. I don't know of any scripture that would say that, but I think that's the case. All right. But I do appreciate the question from the study on the other um, from the study on Wednesday night. All right. So, um, Heavenly says, aren't you judging others? I need more, Heavenly. I'm not sure. Let me bring this in real quick. So Heavenly says, uh, and I like your your name, uh, aren't you judging others? Um, I'm not sure in what context you're talking about judging others. trying to think if I said something today that could be construed as me judging others. I I can't I can't think of of what you're referring to. If you could help me or if someone could, you know, you could just kind of write down uh, what you think it is that heavenly is saying that I'm judging others Uh, very, very possibly. Right. I mean, none of us are perfect and all of us judge people at t- from time to time, and we're not supposed to. So possibly, I'll repent from it if I am. All right, I'll fact check these hands. Uh, uh, I heard a pastor say someone who believed the possible that our blood will be left behind along with our clothes, because our blood is earthly life force and not needed and wanted in heaven. That's an interesting statement. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can, you can't get anything like that from scripture. That with the clothes, is going to be a pile of blood because our blood is the life force. I, I don't know. When Jesus was resurrected, was his blood left behind in the tomb? Certainly the blood that bled from his body was, but we are going to be like Christ, OK? Um, and so I'm not sure that we can say those things. It's it's interesting to me on, I I am, if I speculate as a pastor, I speculate, I let, let people know this is my opinion, and and I'm just speculating here because I hear too many people preaching their opinions as if they are fact when they really haven't done their research on it. They, they really don't know whether or not it can stand up to scrutiny. And we certainly don't want to teach things that can stand up to scrutiny if um, as being reality, if they're not. All right. So um, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Uh, if you are visiting with us for the first time, really glad that you're here. Hope you're blessed, hope that God really speaks to you. Uh, if you have a question, write the word question or question mark in front of it, and then go ahead and write out your question. Reread it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense. Make sure it's got enough information in it, so I know you really what you're talking about. Uh, add any references that you have, we can t- t- take time to look them up and see uh, what they are. All right, So, and we'll take questions really on anything. And I love nuanced questions, questions that you know talk specifically, not just you know, is it okay for a Christian to get a divorce, but nuanced questions about it. This is the situation. So could that person divorce or could that person remarry? Really based upon more of a nuance. All right. Uh, so we have another follow-up from Jari. Uh, Jari says, uh, follow-up, Pastor Robert. Um, Comment watched some of the End Times movies. They took uh, the mark and uh, and a car hit them and they didn't die. They got up in in wheelchairs. Or they got out of wheelchairs. Yeah. Um, Speculation. Movies, shows, movies about the End Times, are going to take some artistic license. And I understand that. I would just like to be a consultant on some of these biblical shows because the inaccuracies drive me crazy. And they really should take time to have really good consultants on the show, because someone taking the mark of the beast, not being able to die is like taking two different things. The stinging of the scorpions that come out of the bottomless pit and the mark of the beast and the miraculous signs and wonders of the of the false prophet and kind of bringing them together <clears throat> and i would say yeah that 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 doesn't fly <laughs> i would say it doesn't it doesn't work so hey i, I understand i understand wanting to be able to yeah I, I don't even know that i understand it um there's so many things that you can teach on from scripture so so many things as i'm making my way through a passage that i leave out that we don't have to talk about things that are full of speculation. It's like I said, well, this is my opinion. I think when we're taking that, we aren't going to leave our clothes behind. That's my opinion. I mean, maybe our clothes will be left behind. I don't know. But I'm just thinking for myself the way that I see it happening. And I and I could I could, of course, be wrong. All right. So um, follow up, Susan. Susan asked our first question today. Follow up: 20 years since then, and he has tried to come back but failed, and feels like the devil's holding him. Uh, The devil hold on him is too is too great. Also, same guy said that God has to change me. All right. Let's take these one at a time. All right, Susan. So, this is Jeff who walked away from God, denounced the Holy Spirit, denounced the Son, denounced the Father <clears throat> because life had gotten bad. Then it got worse, and he wants to come back now. But he says he's tried, and it hasn't happened. The devil's hold on him is too great. Um, Jeff has the responsibility, he has to come back to Christ. He will face eternity without him. Things will get worse. There will be a judgment. Things will get worse than where he's at now. And so when he says the devil's hold on me is too great, well, there are people all the time that break the devil's hold. And the Bible says, no temptation has overtaken you. That's not common to man. So what Jeff is going through is not any different than what the rest of us go through. So when someone says, I'm a special case, The devil's got a hold on me. I can't break this. Well, that could be said of all of us, but we come and put our trust in Christ and Christ is the one who does the work in our lives. He's the one that changes us. When I'm I'm talking to someone like this, Susan, that when you start bringing certain things up, they're like, I tried that and it's just too much for me and I can't, you know, they've got all of these things. I begin to get the idea that they're not really all that serious about wanting to come back to Christ. And I'm not judging heavenly. All right. I'm not judging uh, him. I'm simply saying I I start to get the idea because there's so much that they throw up to put in the way of them coming back. I often wonder, why why are you talking to me? Because if you want to come back, I can tell you that. I can tell you what needs to happen. You have to humble yourself. You have to believe what Jesus said. And and God will forgive you of your sins and bring you back. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect. It doesn't mean your struggles will go away, but you have to do that. So the devil's hold is not too great on anyone that they cannot come to Christ. For anyone who believes and God, desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And it seems to me Again, I don't want to be mean to Jeff. Um, it seems to me like it's a little bit of a drama game. You know, it's like someone who's maybe addicted to some drama. I want to come back, but I can't because the devil's got too big of a hold me. You know, it's just this drama that they've got playing out in their lives and they get everybody kind of sucked into it. And I would say that, Jeff, you're not a special case. That the devil's hold is not too hard on you that if you're not coming back to Christ, it's because you're not coming back to Christ. And you can try to find all kinds of excuses as to why you're not coming back to Him, but each of us has to take responsibility. And believe me, when you stand before God, you will take responsibility for it. There will be no place else to put the responsibility. So when he says, God has to change me, that's a little different issue. This reminds me of of determinism, of Calvinism. That if I'm going to be saved, then God's got to change me. Yeah, that I am lost, dead, and there's nothing that I can do until God gives me that saving grace and causes me now to be able to believe so that someone could say, well, God's got to change me. I'm living the way I am. Determinism. this is how God determined for me to live. So I'm going to live this way until God changes me. That's kind of what it reminds me of. I don't think he is a determinist just by by what he's been talking about. But I think this God has to change me. I'm going to respond this way. Amen. God has to change me too. Even after being a Christian for 45 years, 47 years, God has to change me. And and God has to change every one of us that are that are listening to this, that are watching this. God has to change us. And so when you say God has to change me, I can't come back to Him. God has to change me again. I, you're not a you're not a special case. What you go are going through, we all go through, and you have to come back to Christ. And if you don't, it's because you didn't. It's not because God wouldn't change you. It's not because God chose not to. God's obviously drawing you. It's that you're choosing not to, for whatever reason. You are not coming back to Christ. It's 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 not an overly complicated thing to be reconciled to God. You call out on his name. We are all ambassadors of Christ. As if God is working through us, that people would be reconciled. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. And for someone to say, I've tried and I can't be reconciled. I'm either going to believe that God is not allowing this guy to be reconciled or that this guy has something in his life that doesn't allow him to be reconciled, that he's not being reconciled. And I will say God desires all to be saved, all to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the saving grace is available for Jeff just as much as it, as it is anyone else. All right, Susan. So um, I know it' difficult uh, really dealing with that, but I um, um, we'll be, uh, let's, uh, let's pray for, let's pray for Jeff. Let's pray for him now. Father, we lift up Jeff to you. We pray for him. We pray, Lord, that whatever lies the enemy's telling him that he's believing or whatever he's feeling that he can't come back to you, we pray that your Holy Spirit would draw him and speak to him and show him the tremendous love and that there's no sin that's too great that cannot be forgiven. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, As I said, Susan, as well, I would love to know more about Jeff to be able to answer this question uh, more accurately. How long was Jeff a Christian? Did he, was he, how deep of a Christian was he? Was he shallow? Did he really serve God for a long time? Was it a long time that he served him? Was it a year? Um, I I would love to know those questions, and and it might change the way that I respond to some of this if I knew a little bit more. That's what kind of makes you know there are there are great things about Q and A's like this. Um, for one thing, it helps me as a teacher to see where people are and the kind of things that I need to be clarifying. The, doing these Q and A's now for a couple of years has made me come back and go, I really need to lay more foundations for what I'm saying, because a, a lot of stuff I'm saying needs the foundations, and that's helpful. But also seeing you guys grow as well is just awesome. As we take time uh, to really look into the Word of God, um, which is our only authority, right? Uh, okay. So let me to fact check these hands in. We prayed for her mom, uh, your mom earlier. Fact check these hands. My dad just called. Said the surgeon just came and said my mom won't need surgery. She needs it, but can't wait. Um, let's see. Said my mom likely won't need urgent surgery. All right, she needs it, but it can wait. Okay, good. Thanks so much for praying. You're welcome. And we'll continue to pray for her, okay? So glad we could be here during that time of needing that. All right? Yeah, we, we just prayed for Jeff Susan and we'll pray for him again. Um, that God might soften his heart and soul, save his soul, marriage and family. Um, yeah, if, um, you know, a couple more things. I mean, if, again, if you know, how long he was a Christian before and, um, how much he knew. All right. Um, let's see. Yeah. Jari, some do teach that. (laughs) All right. Um, so I'm just going to take a look here, see if we have any, any more questions that have come in. 50 minutes gone by. we got 10 more minutes. It's amazing how fast our time goes by together, isn't it? So um, excuse me, we are looking at having some guests in the future. And um, we've got a conference coming up in March, and it's an apologetics conference. It's the Calvary Chapel Southwest Pastors and Leaders Conference. It's something that Calvary Tucson has done for the last 20 plus years. And uh, uh, we have Frank Turek, who's going to come and talk to us. Frank is great with apologetics. Uh, Greg Kokel, who wrote the book, Tactics, will be there. Um, we have uh, Skip Heitzik, that is is gonna be speaking a couple of times on, again, uh, on defending the faith, giving a reason for what you believe. Uh, you will be able to, to attend this online uh, also. Um, Greg Kokel, who wrote the book, Tactics, is gonna be there. Natasha Crane, We'll be having an interview with her and she'll be doing a breakout session. Uh, so if it's something that some of you guys may be living somewhere else, want to take three days, it's a Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, and come down and be a part of our um, conference in March. We'd love to have that. We'd love to have you do that. Just go to calvarytucson.com where it says Defending the Faith Conference. Click on that and you can register for that conference uh, there. All right. Um, but, um, we're going to be having some guests on our Q and A, um, as we get ready for them to come out for this conference, uh, we'll be bringing them on. All right. So I, I, look forward to that. Let's see. Um, so Katerina Paris question, um, asked, uh, pass. Uh, yeah, you can ask a question. Um, let's see, Kath, uh, Kath, Yeah. All right. So uh, let me see if there's any more questions here. So we have a question from Daru. Daru, good to see you. Daru says, Hello, Pastor Robert. Uh, this person I know, he asked me, how did the T's and sky appear? Oh, trees, this guy's the T's. I don't know how the T's appeared. Um, the, the trees and sky appear. He asked me to explain it. All right, thanks, Daru. I appreciate that. Uh, how did the tree and sky appear? So we go back to Genesis chapter one and you got to break down as you make your way through that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was void, right? Or or, let me see exactly how it's worded. You think I'd memorize something as easy as Genesis one that I'd be able just to quote it, but let me me go there, I'll read it. All right, and uh, one, one, all right. So let me put this up for you here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, some people believe that God created the earth. It says in Isaiah, he didn't create it formless and void. So some people believe that it was the fall of Satan that caused the earth to become formless and void. Um, I don't know, and and some will put evolution or a bunch of years in the gap theory. I don't know, in this theory of the gap, I don't think we need to do that. But the earth is without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So you need light in order to see the sky because it's, it's, it's blue because of the way the sun moves through the spectrums of, of light going through the air causes what we see when we look up into the sky to be light and God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the uh, light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there was evening and morning and the next day. And then it goes on to talk about God creating all of these things, right? And the days that he created them. So Daru, what I would do if I were you would be just to sit down with him and go through Genesis chapter 1. I think you could take time to read it beforehand, get a good grasp on what day the vegetation and trees were created, Uh, talk about how light was created. And there you get an idea of how sky came into being and trees came into being, as God created all of these things. All right, so thank you, um, Daru, I appreciate that. Hopefully that's helpful. And if you have more questions about it, then I'd I'd love to be able to get them. we have a question from Tim. Uh, Tim, good to see you. Uh, Good to have you here. Uh, So Tim says, Hi, Pastor Robert, in Psalms 2713, Do you think the land of the living refers to the world or does it refer to heaven? All right, let's just take a look. I'm gonna pull it up for you. We're gonna go to Psalms 27. Let me get there. Psalms 27 and verse 13. Let's start in verse 12, all right? Let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. We'll take a look at it. And so you're asking whether the land of the living refers to the world or does it refer to heaven? Let's see if we can get this figured out. All right, so we're gonna start in verse twelve. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breath of violence. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. All right, so thank you for that question, Tim. I appreciate that. Um, what a great Psalm too, by the way, right? That he's having trouble with someone, but and he would have lost heart in, unless he put his trust in God, that he would, see, uh, his, uh, said he would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I think the land of the living there refers to the earth. I don't see any reason why we would make it heaven Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen you. It goes on to say, wait, I say, on the Lord. Um, yeah, great psalm. It would be the land of the living is the land of the living here. It's not talking about heaven. He's talking about, here I am, and I've seen God here, and, and uh, I'm waiting on him, and um, that I would I would have lost heart unless I believed in him, that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So yeah, it's, it's the earth, it's here. Uh, there's no reason in the text, and that's what we would want to look at, You want to look at the text and see, does the text have anything that might refer to living eternally? He's talking about the land of the living. Here we are now, we're living and we put our trust in God that we can see his goodness here in the land of the living. It's a great psalm. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate your question. Uh, We have a service tonight. We are in. Luke 23, and we're going to be talking about the way of the cross or the Via Della Rosa at least part of it, uh, and the Stations of the Cross. In the 1600s, the Catholic Church came up with 14 Stations of the Cross. Eight of them are biblical, and the other ones are not. And so the Way of the Cross, at a church, you would set stations up if, that would represent each one of these events that they're talking about um, as Jesus carried his cross down the Via Dolorosa and different things happened to him. And so, um, Churches will set these up in them, and then they'll stop at each station, contemplate and pray and meditate on what happened there with Jesus, remembering what was done. This is done by the Catholic Church, and Protestant churches have been hesitant to get involved in that because only eight of them are biblical. It was in um, ninety-one, Pope um, Pope John is upon uh, John Paul the Second in nineteen ninety one made a scriptural way of the cross where he had, I think there was nine of them that happened in the Bible because he saw the difficulty of having Veronica there, Jesus meeting his mother, which he sees at the cross, but not earlier when he's on his way to the cross. And and they have that as one of the stations, him falling three times. The Bible never says that he fell. He probably did, but it just doesn't say it. And so we want to be biblical. So tonight I've come up with the way of the cross from the pavement of condemnation by Pilate to Jesus gets to Galgatha and the things that happened to him in between that. And I'm calling it the biblical way of the cross. And I have seven stations that we're going to stop and contemplate and, and see what they speak to us of things that happened to Jesus in that time. So we're in between him being condemned by Pilate and on the cross, and there are some things that happen in between. And we're gonna be talking about that tonight. So if you would like to join us, you can join us in person, or you can uh, join us uh, uh, live. All right, if you're here in Tucson, Uh, follow up Uh, Daru says, uh, this person hates anyone that loves Christ, and he's always looking to put me down. Is there a situation? Should I just stay in this situation? Should I just stay silent? Yeah. Okay, so Daru, Jesus said not to cast your pearls before swine because they're not going to appreciate what the pearls are. And so if he's mockingly saying, how did the sky appear and how did the trees appear? They just appeared? And he's mocking because he hates anything to do with God. You're trying to explain something that is precious, that's pearls, and you're casting them before swine who are going to trample them. That That isn't going to 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 appreciate the things that you're sharing. So, yes, I would say don't be baited by him and might respond with listen, if you're really serious, I would love to talk with you, but I don't think you are. I think you're just looking for some kind of an argument. So I don't think you have really um, made, you know, that kind of commitment. So, yeah, I think you should keep quiet. All right. So we're to we'll take one more here from Amanda. And for the rest of the questions that we have here, I'll take a look at them for the beginning of our Q&A on uh, this coming up Wednesday night <clears throat> before we're in Revelation chapter four, the heavenly visions. All right. So we have a question from Amanda. Amanda says, um, in Revelation, Pastor Furrow, who do you think will hear the trumpets? Some people say only the Christians will hear the trumpets. So Amanda, I'm not sure that I've thought of them that way. Um. So we I believe that the Christians will be in heaven and there will be believers on the earth at that time that are what we would call tribulation saints. They came to Christ after the resurrection and the rapture took place. And when the trumpets are sounded, are they something that's only heard in heaven? Are they something that's heard all around the earth? Does every person hear it? Does every person, does only Christians hear it? Um, I. Um It's not going to be that long, and we're going to be looking at the trumpets. And so we will take a look at this, Amanda, and see if there's anything that could give us a clue as we get near that section, that who would be hearing these trumpets and what would be coming from it, okay? Um, I would say hearing the trumpets isn't as important is what happens as these trumpet judgments go forth. Remember, there are seven seal judgments. This is seal like you tear a seal on a scroll, not like seal or, or or that kind of seal, but the seal you tear a scroll, right? And there's seven of those seals, which breaks the scroll loose. Then there's seven trumpet judgments. So there's seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and then bowl judgments, and they get progressively worse as things go along. So I don't know that the trumpet is for people to hear or the trumpet to release those particular judgments. All right. so. It's good to spend some time with you guys. Great questions today. Love you. Stay close to Christ. Keep seeking him. Uh, don't forget to pray for fact-check these hands, Mother, and to pray for Jeff, all right, because Jeff's going through a, a particular struggle, and the enemy is probably blinding his eyes, and and, and he is under attack, and um, you just got to pray that he would really see that the salvation is offered to everyone, so pray for him, all right? Uh, so I'll see you guys here in a little while. We have a service in exactly an hour. You can go to Calvary Tucson com to watch it, or you can come out and join us, East Campus at 6 o'clock, West Campus at 7.15. No, today's, uh, today's Saturday. East Campus at 6 o'clock, no 7.15 at the West Campus, all right? Uh, that will be tomorrow morning, all right? So, again, love you guys. Uh, be blessed. Uh, follow close to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him, all right? And the Lord truly bless you. Uh, see you guys later on. I'm out.